We need all of your participation now in our scripture passage for today. Um, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. In a moment, I'll invite you to take Bibles out, uh, and you can do that now, actually. But we are all going to read this together, but kind of like uh, with different parts, almost like a choir. So uh, there will be, when it says left, that is you all, so you definitely have the advantage. Right, you're going to have to keep up with... Uh, about 32 vocalists, okay? So you got to be on, on your game. Middle, clearly, is, is you all. There will also be a men and women, so you figured that out. And I uh, want to invite you to read our scripture for today all together. I believe it starts with the left. Is that true? Yes, indeed. All right? So, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Oh, right? Sorry. (laughs) For in Him, all things were created. Very good. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Men, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is in the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. I think this is all of us. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Amen. Amen. It's Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and you want to keep your Bibles open there. If you ask any historian to describe the mood in America at the dawn of the 20th century, the 1900s, you will likely get one word. Optimism. Optimism is what could be said of how Americans felt. It could be said of the European continent as well. A sense of excitement and progress and human potential. By the early 1900s, the the Western world had been immersed in over two centuries of scientific discoveries and technological uh, inventions, medical breakthroughs. The American experiment in democracy had survived a civil war and was now thriving and growing in power and status and wealth in the world. In 1901, for example, a man by the name of Marconi managed to go across the Atlantic and receive a radio signal all the way on the other side of the... Imagine the possibilities... The Wright brothers, two years later, took off in a motorized airplane and and flew. So now we have trains and planes and automobiles all shrinking the globe and expanding possibilities. Men by the name of Planck and Einstein are making incredible discoveries in physics. Vaccines are beginning to multiply and solve many of the diseases in the world. Rutherford and Bohr are able to describe this tiny thing called an atom in 1913. And also in 1913, Henry Ford starts 
the assembly line and begins cranking out those 1913 Model T Fords. It was a spirit of potential. We could do anything, believed the people of, at the dawn of the 20th century. Then, of course, 1914. A gun was fired at an Australian-Hungarian royal. And a war exploded in Europe that then went and engulfed, engulfed the globe. The Great War was like a war no one had ever seen. Thanks to these very scientific achievements and progress, now chemicals could be used as weapons and bombs could be dropped from the air and machine guns could fire rapidly out of foxholes. When the dust and smoke settled, after 1,500 days of war, 9 million lives have been lost on the battlefield. And the optimism of only four years before had been shattered. So much for human potential and progress. The very next year, after that great war had ended, an Irish poet by the name of William uh, Butler Yeats put into verse the the feeling of those days, four years after the optimism. He he puts it like this, and we can see it on the screen. This is from a poem entitled The Second Coming. This is the first verse of his poem. Turning and turning in the widening spiral of history, the falcon can no longer hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, and the worst are full of passionate intensity. This is how he described the feeling just four years later of the world after they saw what humans could do with their science and technology. Things fall apart. The center will not hold. And and there were so many centers, things to hold on to that people had at the time that they were being offered, right? Things they could put their confidence in. There was science, there was technology, there was medicine, there was the wealth of nations, there was democracy, there were human achievements of all kind. Things to stand on to provide security and hope. But this poet describes how those things have fallen apart. The way he describes it, I imagine it kind of like this. Remember a merry-go-round that spins? And it's a child's play toy, right? At at the park. And you get on it and you spin. And you remember how it is to hold on and everyone's uh, giggling and laughing and having a good time. And and then, uh, you know, it goes faster and faster and faster. And pretty soon the centrifugal force overcomes the centripetal force and you're sliding off and pretty soon things fall apart become a disaster. The poem is powerful, I think, isn't it? Because it not only describes this grand historical era, right? He's talking about the dawn of the 20th century. It also describes our very individual, personal experiences. How how often do we find in our lives, right, that that the centers do not the, the things that we put hope and confidence in to carry us through suddenly fall apart. I mean, they go okay for a while, and while life is, is good, it 
it, it holds, but then at some point things fall apart. The center does not hold. We have, we have all kinds of centers, right, that are offered us to hang on to for security, right? Our, our abilities and achievement and competencies that we have, our, our wealth, our health, our, our loved ones that will always be there for us. E- even our beliefs give us a sense of, of confidence and surety in life. And when the merry-go-round is going at, uh, life's merry-go-round is going at a reasonable pace, right? We're giggling, we're laughing. These things seem to hold and these things provide the kind of strength and courage and, and, that we need. They help us get through life quite well. But you remember on the playground how eventually there was always that bigger kid who came up, and while all, everyone's laughing and enjoying themselves going round and round on the merry-go-round, that bigger kid thought it was hilarious to begin to speed up the merry-go-round, right? Faster and faster and faster, and pretty soon the, the giggling and laughing are turned to sort of, you know, the faces are going, and maybe there's some screams, and they're hanging on, and faster and faster until finally the hands slip, the grip slips. And kids are flying everywhere. The center <laughs> cannot hold. Things fall apart. And in life, sometimes, right, as it spins faster and faster, those centers that we've hung on to begin to get a little slippery. Our abilities and our competencies finally come up short. We discover, okay, we, we fail, we flail, we fall our wealth disappears overnight, or we just discover that all that wealth doesn't really fix every problem that we encounter. Our health changes with that one diagnosis, and our bodies are suddenly not our friends, but seem to be our enemies. Maybe it's when you watch the news this week and you see these two men with with political power, apparently had very little willpower over their personal lives. And when you see that on the news, you feel immediately for the spouses of these men because you know exactly how that feels. To be betrayed by the one you love most. The beliefs, maybe, that you've always held with confidence, suddenly you come across a situation where those beliefs just don't hold water. They just don't provide answers for that thing you're facing. And life's merry-go-round as it goes faster and faster, spins out of control, and the centers that we've held on to do not hold. Things fall apart. Now, at first glance, what I am about to suggest might sound rather trite or shallow or a bit un helpful, maybe even a little out of touch, because what I would suggest is that what we need in these moments of life that are disturbing and destabilizing is actually another poem. <laughs> Big poetry fans today, right? Or, or we could call it rather a song, a hymn, a 2,000-year-old hymn. The, the text that we read together from Colossians is most likely, seems to be a hymn that either the author of Colossians wrote himself or, and I think this is probably the case, it's one that he knew his congregation that he was writing to knew well and sang together in their worship time. And he decided to use this perfectly in his letter to help them out. 
regardless, whatever reason, this letter is written to the Colossian church that we've been going through for several weeks now, right? Uh, there were, there were some crises in this church. They needed help. There were some bad beliefs going around. Maybe there was some persecution. Certainly they were experiencing rejection in their newfound faith. Maybe there was some fighting amongst the members. And Paul decides as he writes this letter, the answer to all these problems is a song, (laughs) a hymn, a, a poem. But of course, as we read and we discovered together, and as you look at your Bibles in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, it's not just any song. This is a hymn to Christ. And and as such, uh, the purpose of this song, this hymn, is not so much to analyze and dissect and describe, rather it's meant more to, to celebrate. To, to worship, to proclaim, to stand in awe of the one it sings about. Right? Let's hear it again. Verses 15 through 17, if you're following along in your Bibles. He is, or the Son is, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, this one that the hymn sings about is one where the center will holds here is the one in whom things will not fall apart christ says this song created all things and holds all things together and notice what this song does not say by the way it doesn't say christ is the center of our spiritual lives and holds religious things together right do we do that sometimes christ is the center of our spiritual lives and we have religious things and then there's everything else in the world christ holds all things together. In, in fact, seven times in this very short song, the author uses the word all. He wants to be very clear. This is everything, all things, the cosmos. Things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible. Rulers, thrones, powers, authorities, governments, whatever. All things Christ holds together. Christ existence is bigger than all of this. Outside, above, below, beyond all of this. Nothing is outside the scope of Christ's interest in this universe. All things. So, this song is one that invites us to do the following. The the writer of this letter says, sing the song. That's the invitation here in this letter. Sing this song. Sing this hymn to Christ. But we must admit now, if we're even half awake in our world, as we sing the words of this song about how Christ is all in all and and has all things held together, it's a rather strange song to sing in the world around us, right? Uh, If it appears to be a poem that is not much more than words. Because if we look around, this doesn't seem to be the case. All things are contained in Christ's story. 
there are many things, right, if we are even half awake in the world that do not seem to be held together in Christ, right? There are rulers and authorities and powers that seem anything but Christ-like. Nature itself hardly seems to be holding together. This this seems like a strange song to sing. Really, as we look around, all things hold together in Christ. But it's interesting, if we're listening carefully to the song, this Christ who is above all things and below all things, surrounding all things, in all things, creator of all things, even the goal of all things, this cosmic Christ, and this is important, this cosmic Christ's greatest moment if we're following this song, his greatest moment of glory was what? To suffer and bleed and die on a cross. Verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on, heaven, on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this is a song whose message is not what we kind of hear at first. God's got all things held together. That's good news. It's a message that is not about necessarily an escape from suffering or hard times in life, right? It's not a message that is a promise of an easy life. It's not an invitation to greatness and grandeur as much as we would like that. It's not even an invitation to the defeat of our enemies. It is something else. It's a song about the wonderful mystery that the suffering of God on on the cross is not the end of the story, but the beginning. It's a story that Things do not, in fact, fall apart even when they appear to be. It's a story that this divine center does hold. Through the mystery, the song says, of of a cross and an empty tomb, God is behind the scenes putting things back together so that someday God's reality will burst through the clouds into our own and God will make this world right the way God has been working to do from the beginning. And that is a song of hope that we sing. So we're invited by this letter and this author to join in this beautiful song. Join the choir, as we've heard so beautifully this morning. Join the choir in singing about this wonderful, divine mystery in our world. We're invited to be a living witness of this song and this story in the world. That's why Paul reminds us again and again that Christ is the head of what? The body, which is the church. Because we need a congregation a group of people gathered together to be able to sing this song here and in our world so for example when a nominating committee is put together and they go off to make decisions and to write names on a list and to make phone calls that some of you will get it's not so much an invitation to just kind of help the church run smoothly as an organization although that helps it's an invitation to help sing the song 
in our congregation and in our world. It's an invitation to be a living witness that this song that seems so counter and different than the songs we hear in the world is a true song and it is real and it is filled with security and faith and hope. And all of us, every one of us, whether you get a phone call or not in the next couple of weeks, is invited to sing your part in this song. (laughs) The choir sang beautifully right before uh, a few minutes ago, trust and never doubt. Jesus will bring you out. He never failed me yet, and so I will sing. I mean, that's the heart of it, isn't it? Trust and never doubt. Jesus will bring me out. He never failed me yet. And we sing that over and over, and it has a way of giving us a center that holds. To close, maybe just a few images. Let's imagine in our minds a few snapshots from history of singing and hope and faith. Imagine the picture in your minds of African slaves in American fields singing, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Or singing, go down Moses, way down to Egypt's land, tell old old Pharaoh to let my people go. What a song of hope and confidence. Think of Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi marching along the roads with thousands of Indians, marching for freedom, marching towards the salt mines where they are about to endure brutal beating for what they are hoping for, their freedom, and along the way they're singing songs of hope and faith on the journey. Think of Christian pastors, among others, Martin Luther King Jr. in the Civil Rights Movement, gathered together with throngs of people in their congregations singing freedom songs and gospel songs like We Shall Overcome. Singing until it becomes true. Imagine Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other Christian pastors sitting in jails in Germany because of their desire their, their confidence that the gospel was asking them to resist Hitler and the Nazis. They singing hymns that they knew by heart of hope and faith, even in prison. We go all the way back to Paul and Silas doing this very thing, singing songs of hope. So it seems that even in, in suffering that we experience in our lives, even in brokenness, heartache, pain, even in frustration and difficulty. In all these things, we are invited to sing, to remember this story that is bigger than the one we're in. We're, we, we are invited to literally gather for worship every week and sing these songs and pray these prayers and hear words spoken to remind us again and again that this is very real all appearances to the contrary out there. Abilities will fall short in our lives, right? Bodies will betray us. Our loved ones can sometimes even fail us. And yet God remains faithful. God is the center that holds. In Him, things will not fall apart. In fact, they are being put back together. So, May you sing this story of Jesus in your life. And as you sing it, may it deepen your faith, may it expand your hope, 
And may it give you confidence and surety in the unending and infinite love of God.